Hi, everybody. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming today for this talk between Ida Malune and Renee Musai from Autograph. We're so excited uh, to have Ida here in London with us and to have Renee here as well to uh, have a, a dialogue about um, Ida's collection for WaterAid called Water Life. My name's Neil. I'm the photography manager at WaterAid, uh, and I originally commissioned this series from Ida. Um, and I think uh, the best way to start maybe is if we screen the film uh, that we made in partnership with uh, nowness.com. Uh, it's a film by uh, Adeyemi Michael, a young British Nigerian filmmaker, um, which gives us a really kind of rare and uh, beautiful glimpse into Ida's working practices. So without further ado, let's have a look at the film. Thank you. I do believe that the act of creativity is a spiritual provocation. Even when you look at traditional art from Africa, a lot of it is a spiritual manifestation. My creative process starts with a sketch. I'm always thinking, and I, I live more in my head than I do outside of my head. There's an expression that says that the, the sitter gives the photo, not the photographer taking the photo. So the relationship between myself and the model is quite important for me. My main focus is not the sexuality of the woman or the exotic sense of the woman but it's really presenting the woman with a very fierce and very strong, you know, intensity. She's like a reflection of me, that's how I see it. In a way, she is the portal sort of for my visual diary and my experiences. When I'm shooting and creating this work, it's like a trance. What's important for me uh, when we're shooting is really not only energy, but the sharing of love, because it's almost like moving with one body to make this whole thing come into reality. When we're drinking coffee together, when we're eating together, so even my son will make a contribution to that. We're, we're functioning with a, with a sense of purpose, and that purpose is how do we make something magical happen. The link with nature is quite important. And as Africans, we're connected to nature. I live in an area which is basically we're on top of the mountain. You hear the hyenas, especially if you're you know, near the forest and so forth. I'm an urban person, but I like the serenity of being within nature. The best times for me, for my solitude, is really like when I go on these long road trips. You just have the earth, the sky, and you within that space. And that means that you're confronted to go inward, especially when you're encountered with the silence of the audio and the silence of the visual. The role of art as a form of advocacy for me is quite important. I wanted to utilize my art for a sense of purpose outside of just hanging my work, you know, on white walls in galleries or museum. It was really important for me to do the Water Life collection for WaterAid. I'm looking at a very specific issue, which is you know, not having access to direct water as actually having an impact on the society. I chose the Danakil because it's almost like poetic to me, but at the same time, terrain that was very difficult to shoot in, to really understand how people live in these conditions. And that emptiness was almost like painting on a white canvas. I think as artists, uh, one of our key roles is really to share not just our ideas, but also certain issues that are in contemporary Africa.
as I dig deeper within myself and as I present what is inside of me, it resonates quite broadly to the audience that people find these connecting points. The true testament of an artist, in my opinion, is when you break boundaries and when you express an idea that is able to uh, provoke the onlooker. I've chosen to address specific things, especially around the issues of women. Just as we have you know, the challenges of the continent, we also have the beauty of it. You know, we have the history, the heritage. There's so many components. The key thing is I'm not here to, uh, to provide answers. What I'm trying to do is really to shift the perception and to present it in a way that they haven't seen before. Um, first, thanks all of you for being here today, and thank you to 154 um, for hosting us. Thank you, Neil, for the introduction um, and for the invitation. And of course, Ada, um, thank you so much for producing this powerful body of work and for being here today to have this conversation. I know we're all very tired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's been one of those um, very, very hectic weeks and hectic times and a lot of talking to guests in public and a lot of facing people and things, um, so thank you. Um, the film is incredibly beautiful and evocative, and there are so many points that we could pick up straight away, I think, from, um, from your interview and voiceover in the film. But I think, first of all, what I'd like to do is to just very briefly, I don't know how familiar the audience is with your work and your trajectory, but um, you are, of course, somebody who's not um, simply working as a visual artist within the sphere. You are an educator, you are a curator, you are an organizer, you are an activist. Um, your work instituting Addis PhotoFest in 2010, I believe, um, is absolutely groundbreaking and pioneering to introduce um, this photo biennial, especially in, 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 in the Horn of Africa, in Eastern Africa. We've had Bamako since 1994. Um, but, um, but the Horn of Africa and Eastern Africa has often been neglected within a conversation around contemporary visual culture and contemporary art on the continent. So in many ways, I don't know how you do it all. And you're also a mother, of course. Um, so I'd love to just um, begin with, just perhaps by just mapping out the trajectory and your journey as an artist. Also, you've come from photojournalism, um, and you're now working still in photojournalism um, but also embracing the kind of critical fine art practice in order to convey a similar message, but in a different way and to different audiences, including here. And you've lived uh, a life between lots of different places, continents from um, Canada, Yemen, um, Ethiopia, America, <coughs> back in Ethiopia now, moving between the States and there and you're in Europe at this point. So perhaps just a little bit of a mapping of journey to begin with? Um, <clears throat> so I, I was born in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Uh, I left at the age of five. Um, and really, the, the beginning of my journey within photography um, started in Canada. I went to a really great uh, high school in Calgary where they, we had a, an amazing art department. Um, and the thing with the Canadian education system is that it really gave you an opportunity to explore fully uh, whatever it is that you want to pursue. So I started out actually with the interest of drawing and painting, but then when I discovered the darkroom and making prints, I said, forget painting, I'm going to go into photography. <laughs> so uh, we had a really great teacher who was generous enough uh, to lend me his camera, which was a Pentax, I still remember, and after I saw my first print, that was really the magical moment for me. But more importantly, also getting into images was, you know, growing up in the 80s in Canada, um, you know, that was during the time of the famine in Ethiopia. And, um, and there was always this contradiction of the stories that my mother would tell me about my homeland and then what I saw in the mass media. So I started thinking about, you know, how is it that, you know, we're from there and we, see, we know a different story, but the rest of the world doesn't know the full story of Ethiopia. So through that, um, I 
basically started uh, taking photos in high school. And I was an athlete, and I had this great plan to be a great basketball player, but I was too short. And I realized for females, you don't get that far. So I, my first thing was I started shooting uh, games, because I knew the games very well. So, um, and I was doing newspaper stuff. And then um, I went in and out of uh, shooting. Um, and I come from a family, really, I've said this before. I'm quite lucky uh, because I don't come from a family where, you know, the expectation usually as Africans is that you're supposed to be an engineer or an accountant or a doctor or what have you. But my mother always said, you know, whatever that you choose to do, you know, just make sure you're the best at it. So I pursued things with that thinking in mind. Um, so I ended up anyways going to Howard University and at Howard um, I was supposed to be in the School of Business. My plan was to go into law. Um, but then again, professors had seen my images in the communication department, so I ended up graduating with a degree in cinema. And it's actually through DC that I had amazing mentors, uh, mentors like um, Dudley Brooks, who's currently the photo editor at Washington Post Magazine, and he was the one that really got me into journalism. And Chester Higgins, uh, and there was also a photographer named Harley Little. Um, so I was really nurtured by the African-American photographers. and. Over years, I realized that the conversation of representation wasn't just something that was happening in the US as it relate to how African Americans were represented, but it was really a global reality for black people everywhere. So regardless whether you're in the US, in Africa, Europe, and so forth. So I always went and pursued um, you know, just exploring these notions. And then I ended up in Addis in 2007. Um, and from that point on, I was very passionate about teaching, I've, I've always been volunteering. You know, when we first immigrated to Canada, my mother thought it was quite important uh, that I volunteer in the community center. So, and, and this is not because we come from privilege, we really don't come from anything, but, um, but anyway, so I always had the sense of giving back to the community. So when I arrived in Addis, I realized, you know, there's not a whole lot going on, you know, let me start teaching. So I was teaching at the university run uh, different programs, um, and then eventually this work that you see that came out was really uh, motivated by Simone Jami, uh, who was a mm -hmm. curator and really a key person for a lot of us, because he has put us on the map. And Simone had asked, you know, can you make a new body of work? And this was for the exhibition. There was an exhibition that was the African interpretations of Dante's Divine Comedy. Mm -hmm. So my section was Inferno, so I created seven pieces. And when I made that work, I really didn't think much of it. You know, I, I just, I'm always, you know, concerned what Simone thinks about my work, more so than anybody else. So <laughs> I, I sent it, you know, to the, to the show in Germany, and the reaction was, like, pretty intense. So I was like, okay. Um, and then I just decided, okay, let me continue exploring this. And, and here we are to this point. And so the work that you're referring to was using a similar visual vernacular of mm -hmm. these sort of bold primary colors, if yeah. you will, studio-based and female lead characters, as you call them, mm -hmm. um, as the kind of like main protagonists in the work. And there was, so at this point, you moved from the black and white photography mm -hmm. into this space of color. It's walking hard, yeah. <laughs> hard steps. <laughs> yeah. um, and in many ways, the, um, the, the commission then, with WaterAid in 2018, uses still, you're tapping into the visual vernacular that you developed with the Inferno show. Right. Um, can you talk a little bit about the, just the embracing of color, but right. also that move between um, the photojournalistic approach to the kind of critical fine art practice, and especially, and we'll get to the commission in a second, why you decided to, I'm so sorry, embrace um, embrace a fine art approach as opposed to a social documentary approach for this work? I mean, I don't know. It's just um, when I was at the Post, I mean, the, the biggest arguments with my editors was they used to always ask, like, you know, are you a photojournalist or are you a fine art? And my whole thing is, why can I be both? You know, why do I need to be boxed into one or the other? So this was always the major uh, conversation. Um, but... You know, I get asked this a lot as far as existing in these two worlds. But to me, um, and especially when I teach young photographers, I do believe that the foundation of photography is photojournalism because mm -hmm. you first have to learn how to tell a story through a collection of images. 
And one thing that I see in Africa, the big danger is that young photographers, without building that foundation of journalistic work, they jump yeah. into the fine art. Yeah. And then when they get to these European markets, they get, you know, sort of uh, in a panic mm -hmm. because they don't have that solid foundation to continue their, you know, their style. So I believe that I've, I've had to go through that journey and I find that it has inspired me a great deal to the fine art work that I do. Mm -hmm. But um, the moments are the same for me. So for example, in journalism, you're waiting for that magic moment. You're waiting for just that split second that differentiates between you know, capturing that moment or not. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing in the studio work or on these locations because even for the model, if you look at my outtakes, uh, you can clearly see that it's that one moment that it's in that gaze, you know, and that's what I call the magic. So when I started doing this work, um, you know, a lot of the ideas came from my journalistic experiences and everything mm -hmm. that I've gone through. <clears throat> and um, and within, you know, I'm, I'm actually more of a classical black and white photographer because I grew up in the, in the dark room. I don't see color. I, I see lighting, shade, space. You know, I see all these things like clearly. But it, when I was doing journalism, it was very difficult for me to see the color, to bring out these mm -hmm. colors. So when I got into the studio work, I, I, in my mind, I processed it as you know the black and white. As an artist, for me, the black and white was sort of my charcoal phase or my mm -hmm. sketching before I moved on to the color work. You mm -hmm. know, so and then when I move into this color world. I wanted to really uh, focus on uh, just the primary colors because I didn't really, I felt like I need to build my experience with these colors before I get into the secondary. So uh, it was really through that process. And these are the colors that I feel obsessed about. Um, and I'm, you know, when I get tired of them, I guess I'll move into another color. But I feel that this is what I feel inside. And this is the way that I would like to express it. And, mm. and with them, um, so let's. Um, Within within the series, so maybe just um, a little bit of background on, on, on the commission. So I believe it started in 2017, 2018, and the brief was to respond to um, lack of access to water, and you chose specifically to work in, in, this, in the area that you mm -hmm. chose in northern Ethiopia, and also to center women mm -hmm. as the main conversation in terms of how the scarcity of water as an environmental... Um, catastrophe threat impacts on the lives of women and girls specifically. Also, just in, in the context of forum here, very important to, of course, um, mention BC Silver, in whose legacy all of the talks programs are being held. And in your, um, in your artist statement, you also highlight Maya Angelou's poem mm -hmm. around um, a woman's work. So, so that conversation around centering the experiences of, of women and girls is of course still often sidelined. When we think of water, we forget that young women are um, young and women of all generations, of course, are affected in very particular ways. Um, you briefly spoke about this image and the, the red and the um, fabric referring to uh, issues around sanitation and menstruation, of course. Very few people would have, um, by simply looking at the work and not decoding the images, I think, made that connection that young girls in education wouldn't necessarily have access to bathrooms, meaning that when they're menstruating, they um, are missing school because they stay home, because they're not able to have those, um, those, those moments of access. So, and that, of course, then impacts on future progress, education, and the roles that women can play. So the conversation in each of those 14 images is in some way um, coded and it requires a little bit of decoding in order to get to the, to, to the message. But um, it would be really wonderful, I think, if we can just speak through a few of those images and in the context of using your art practice, of course, to advocate for key political issues of our time. Um, and I'm also interested in, in, the, in the, the visual approach. Um, you've described it as an Afrofuturist um, approach. Okay. There's a lot there. I know. Yes. I'm sorry. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so as you guys saw in the film, I mean, I start everything with a sketch. Uh, people ask me, you know, where my inspiration comes from. And, and to me, it's uh, really living in, in Addis Ababa and traveling throughout Ethiopia. The inspiration is everywhere. And 
you know, when I come to Europe, I'm not as inspired because it just doesn't have that feel to it for me. But, um, but over the years, um, exploring these different topics, um, I use women because, I mean, I'm a woman and I'm, what I'm sharing with the audience is my personal experience. So I can't really share a, a male experience because mm. I'm, I'm not that. But, um, but through time, I realized that a lot of the, um, there's a lot of issues that I think we have to vocalize and it was interesting to me because I remember I read somewhere that the UN said that for Africa, uh, the biggest wealth that Africa have are the women. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at uh, the influences of women within society, it's quite, you know, it's, it's quite deep. Um, but education is always a major issue. And I am, I'm a big supporter of uh, education. I think even as an Ethiopian and as our nation, you know, without proper education, we don't really move forward. So in creating uh, the different pieces, uh, the first step was when Neil contacted me, you know, the question that I had was, you know, did he want me to do this work in the journalistic or in the fine art? And it's rare to find an organization that will take that chance mm -hmm. to let an artist create work, you with know, freedom. With, with that freedom. Mm -hmm. So the results of, you know, the, the process um, and you know we went through back and forth and I chose this location because it was really uh, I had done the music video for uh, Fatuma Diarra who um, the first time I went there it was really an intense experience but I just loved the area and I felt like I need to go back there and what is the best way that now we're having this discussion about water mm -hmm. because you have to remember uh, to get to these locations we're not flying in we, we actually have to Drive in, yeah. So, and it's through that driving that you see a lot of things, and that's why I always prefer to drive uh, inside anywhere, you know, to, to get a better sense of the land and the people. Um, but going to this location, it's very hot. Uh, it's probably like you know one of the hottest places on this planet. It's quite intense, um, but the landscape and everything was quite uh, an amazing moment. So, in piecing together uh, each topic. The most fascinating for me is that I had asked Neil to send me the researcher, you know, the, the key points. And I never thought that, you know, if you don't have water in the schools, how this impacts the girls and then, you know, everything is connected. And, and I said this the other day that, you know, we live, you know, in these comfortable zones where uh, the impact of water we might not feel. But if you go to these ruler regions, the impact is quite intense. And this is why even with all this climate change that the West seems to be ignoring, you know, it's impacting everybody globally. Mm -hmm. But it impacts those that are in developing nations even more because we don't have the facilities or the infrastructure to address, you know, these mm -hmm. issues. So in the case of this uh, image, um, just to break it down, this was actually the last shot, I think, and we were like so tired and Neil was with me in this process. But we were really exhausted, and I think it was like 48 or 49. It was something really ridiculous heat that we had to endure. And usually, you know, when I go to this location, the first thing for me outside of the team is the is the equipment going to explode or is shit going to melt or something, you know. But uh, but for this, everything that you see is an existing reference. So I put this cloth uh, on the ground. This cloth here is basically, if you saw Yamani in the video of him, uh, how do you say it? It's basically we're throwing the cloth in the air. Mm -hmm. But what I wanted to represent and what I thought was interesting is that, uh, you know, the female cycle, which is also represented by the moon, is something of the creation of life. It, it's, it's something that, you know, we're, as women, we're bringing life into the world. But through this menstruation process, something that's supposed to bring you wings or life is something that is also keeping you down. And this sort of, for me, is symbolic of the path uh, of the other, of, you know, really moving forward into the future and, and so forth. And the landscape that you see is in a, you know, the real uh, landscape and what have you. But through each piece, um, I didn't want to do like a very little, it wasn't about doing a fully literal thing, but I wanted to incorporate specific elements. Yeah. So in every piece, uh, you'll also see just uh, specific things that are very um, Ethiopian. Um, and again, it's sort of placing these codings. So for example, in exhibitions, you know, uh, what I want is when my people, when Ethiopians come to see the work, mm -hmm. they'll see these references. references. Yeah. Like for a foreigner, they see the graphical. But for me, it's also, you it's know, really putting these things in there. 
that they recognize these points and, yeah. and, and what have you. So when you produce the work, do you think of an audience specifically because of, no, not a specific audience? I mean, I, I don't create my work uh, seeking the validation of anyone. Um, I create my work because I, I feel it's, it's something that I have to uh, express and something that, that I have to say. And I'm really, um, I'm really against this notion of art being for the elite. And that's one thing that I, I always have concerns about um, how that's shifting or how that's been that way. But I want my work to uh, extend to the masses in a way that it's not a matter of fully understanding the work, but I want you to remember my work in one capacity or another. So if yeah. something has stuck in your mind or something that you remember, uh, to me, this is the greatest uh, thing. You know, mm. that, that means that I've done my work. And even um, I remember when we were in the Joburg Art Fair, there were kids that came to look at uh, you know, my work in the booth. And that was the most interesting perspective. On to see their just, reaction. Yeah, and that was the purest. Mm. To me, it's not about you know, you know, the collectors or you know this and that. It's really about seeing how the general mass how they relate uh, to yeah. what I'm creating or what they see in what I'm creating and the impact it can have and the impact that you know. So and that's why I said in the film, like I'm not here to really provide answers. I'm just here to raise the questions and mm. to make people wonder what is this shit. You know, what? How do I need to go deeper into this? You know. Yes. So. And one of the other things you say in, in, in the film as well, and have said previously, is that the key for you is to shift perceptions, right? Mm -hmm. so, so, so to enable through your work for others to see things differently, mm -hmm. to represent differently, but also for, for, for perception shift to occur, if you will, in a kind of paradigm shift. What was interesting in, in terms of what you said earlier is also some of the references, of course, will be understood within, um, within a, an African context other references will be lost in a European context, mm -hmm. um, including at an art fair. Mm -hmm. how, does that, um, how do you feel about that in terms of the message that you're conveying through the work? Also, a choice that you make, I believe, very deliberately is to not have any kind of didactic explanations mm -hmm. next to your images. So the titles are very poetic mm -hmm. and they're evocative, but they don't necessarily tell you more about the image mm -hmm. as such. There isn't a caption that explains mm -hmm. something. So, once we, so if we look at this with the two the kind of like graphic sign of the female and male. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really know what we call them, the figures. Like, I wanted to call them stick people, but they're not <laughs> stick people. Um, clearly says, um, you know, restroom. Right. But other than that, um, the, um, the, the white um, uh, water jar could also be a vase or mm -hmm. all sorts of other things. The, um, the, the decoration and the body paint will be read very differently in, a, in an East African context, and it will be here. Mm. Um, equally with the body paint, one could read it as a kind of silencing. So the way that the, the, the women's faces are split with the different colors, um, within a popular culture reference, if we look at The Handmaid's Tale, mm. for example, here, mm. people might re reference it back to that. So mm. how, how, do you, um, how do you bring all of these references Well, together? I've never seen Handmaid's Tales, <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, um, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Everybody has their own perspective. And the one thing that I realized when I, when I was shooting in black and white and exhibiting, um, you know, people would come up to me in these very photojournalistic work and they would read so much more than what I was intending, you know. And to me, over, over the years, um, people read what they want to read into it. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, the point is to make you think about it at the end of the day. So. If someone wants to know further, um, you know, it's basically this is the... It's a seed. Yeah, this is the, the beginning. And, you know, I'll tell you um, a couple stories. Um, in Addis Ababa, what has been really fascinating is, and I, I said this in an interview, is the, like, the local hair salons and, the, like, the tour and travel. Mm -hmm. So they've been lifting my images from the internet and using it for their, like, storefront advertising. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I, you know, so I'm not gonna sue anybody, but you know, I, you know, we call and we say, you know, this is unethical, it's a copyright violation, you know, don't do it in the next round, you know. But I just thought this is so interesting that, you know, my own people who are not connected in the art world in any kind of way, but they but found they something interesting it. to like, and they mm -hmm. interpreted it in their own way, yeah. and they saw value in it to actually make a billboard out of it, you know. So 
So these encounters have been happening uh, over the years. And the other is really, um, and especially, I have a, a, a lot of youth followers in Ethiopia, and um, I remember my sister went to like a high school party, and there was, you know, some girl who asked her why she was there, and she said, you know, because of my sister, and then she asked, who's your sister? She told her, and this girl said, you know, she was depressed for months, and when she saw my work, she understood that it was okay to be obscure, that it was okay mm. to be different, you know? Yeah. So you have those kind of understanding of the work. Uh, then there is this completely over-philosophized understanding of my work, uh, and then there's just the face value of what it is, you know? Mm. So for me, it's like, um, you know, by seeing, you know, people can read, for example, some people say that it's, you know, there's this Japanese influence with this geisha stuff, but mm. I'm not really uh, looking at that. It was just something that I wanted to do, something that I was interested in. You know, and 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 over the years of of exhibiting and seeing the the reaction, everyone reads what they want to read into it. And yes, the titles, you know, all my titles really are based on poetry that I read, and that's the final mm -hmm. phase in all my uh, process. Is you add the titles later. Hmm? You add the titles. The titles later. always last, mm -hmm. but what's been interesting is um, the title that I that I pull from different poems ends up really completing the piece. Mm. Uh, it's like the salt in the stew, you know, it, mm -hmm. it pulls it all together. So in that sense, it's, um, you know, you can read about the work if you don't understand it. There's a bunch of stuff online. Yeah. But uh, my concern is not being misread, you know, because there's enough information mm. for people to get. Um, and if they don't, you know, I don't know what else. <laughs> <laughs> and with them, um, I was going to ask a question around the so the use of the body paint. Is there also a sense of um, protection of your model's identity, if if you will? I mean, is there there's a sense of abstraction and abstraction through obscuring identity in in, in a I'm, way? I mean, when I when I started the body paint, uh, this was actually in two thousand and three. Um, if you go to the National Museum of African Art, uh, the Smithsonian, mm -hmm. you'll see the first work I ever did, which was actually in black and white body paint. Um, and at that time, I was a student at Howard University, and uh, we had like a, a fashion show. And the fashion show uh, director wanted, uh, he asked photographers to propose an image to use for the campaign. Mm -hmm. So I picked two models from the runway, and then, you know, I'm, I'm in a, a predominantly black school as an African, and there's always this sort of irony, like, you know, as Africans living in these worlds, like, we, we don't fit in, but we fit in. So there's always mm. this thing. So I, I said, okay, I would like to represent sort of, uh, you know, my African roots. So we did that with, you know, the white dots. Mm -hmm. And then that ended up being exhibited at the Smithsonian, and it went into the uh, permanent collection. But after that, I, I basically quit photography and decided mm -hmm. to go back to my uh, film. And it was actually when I was doing the 99 series for Simone that I said, okay, let me get back to, to doing this. But what I wanted to make a statement at that time was really talking about how people wear masks, you know, for power, for wealth, uh, for ego, for all these components. So I wanted to incorporate this concept of always concealing ourselves. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the body paint, I never cover the eyes. There's always a, a space where so it actually looks like a mask. And through that exploration, I started doing research on body painting, ornamentation, and scarification, mm -hmm. uh, not only in Ethiopia, but across Africa. And then I went even broader, and then I went to South America, I went to Asia and Middle East. And what I found interesting is that these sort of traditional cultures, how they um, decorated their bodies, it was very contemporary and very um, quite amazing. You know, it's unfortunate that, you know, in Europe, there's this perception, you know, like this primitive art, and to me it's not primitive, it's, it's highly sophisticated art forms of self-expression. Yeah. So when you look at um, how these are expressed through the body, uh, used as a canvas, I thought this is so fascinating. So I started just going deeper into it and looking at different, uh, different patterns. Mm -hmm. um, and through that, it was really a way for me, and I've said this before, is I'm, I'm, I'm sourcing from the traditional cultures, so if you look at a lot of the images, there's elements of the tradition in that. And basically sourcing from the tradition, you know, uh, bringing it into the present and really having this futuristic conversation mm. within that. And I give this example, like, you know, Picasso took so much from Africa because there was a value to it, you know. 
So for me, it's, it's a way of negotiating with the past, but also utilizing elements of these past traditions to have uh, this sort of uh, you know, new conversation or using it as a form of self-expression. Uh, sure. So for example, the neck, uh, the necklines that you see, those are uh, Ethiopian. Um, we have these neck tattoos, which for us is the sign of beauty. So a woman's neck is considered like if you have a long neck, it's, a, it's supposed to be you know very beautiful. You know, so they put tattoos around the neck to accent and make the neck mm -hmm. even longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you will see these elements on there. But then you'll see these white dots. I mean, the the black dots that come down. That was just something that I wanted to do. But if you go to the Omo Valley in Ethiopia, you find that they use dots uh, to sort of. Uh, decorate their bodies. Mm -hmm. And so through that, then I started having these conversations, uh, you know, as far as like uh, these very futuristic uh, ways of presenting it. And um, to me, uh, you know, what was interesting, especially within Afrofuturism, is that, you know, when we look at the film like Black Panther, mm -hmm. that was probably the most commercial, uh, the most commercial expression of Afrofuturism. Yeah. But then when you look at Black Panther, there was a lot of sourcing that happened from Ethiopia. So mm. the bodies, the clothing, there's a lot of things. It was between, I think, Ethiopia and South Africa that they used a lot of different things. So through that, I'm just making these pieces, uh, but you know, trying to tell my own stories as well through each frame. And the, um, I mean, so for example, this, this is a traditional bed that you see in the ruler uh, region. So I wanted to incorporate the bed if you ever see this black and white checker in my work, this is sort of like, um, sort of, um, how do you say, a sign of respect for like Malik Sidi Bey. So this this sort of tradition of studio portrait photography. So in a way, I'm like the futuristic of Malik Sidi Bey <laughs> of you know doing these portraits but moving it. So whenever you see that, it's just me because I, I knew Malik Sidi Bey quite well. So but this was bunch. me. It's like a dedication uh, to him. We've taken the, the jerry can, which is the yellow plastic, so we've cut it out and made it into a mask. Is time coming? We're fine. We're still okay. We've okay. got 10 minutes. Did you say something? No. Okay. So the, the mask, uh, we wanted to, like, we cut it out. And I work with um, different artists to create, like, backgrounds and these different pieces. Mm -hmm. But for me, this was, you know, in, in, our, in our country, in the rural region, when you are sick, uh, they actually transport you with your bed. So they carry people on this bed and, you know, to wherever the nearest clinic is and, and so forth. So for me, this was the burden of illness that is associated with uh, you know, lack of access to clean water and, and so forth. So in each and every image in the series, really you make a comment that's specific yeah. to, the, to the overall theme, whether it's- Yeah, but based on what I have seen, seen. not just mm. doing this very generic no, exactly. you know, NGO facts, you know yeah. what I'm saying? But just I'm exploring the things that I've been thinking about. Mm. So even before Neil, uh, came and asked me, it was really important uh, because I've been thinking about these issues and, and I've said, you know, like uh, there'll be women carrying these heavy water and there's a dude standing next to them and they're not helping to carry the water. And yeah. I thought this was very, so there was a big divide of what is the role of the women, what is the role of the men that was yeah. in this collective, because uh, you rarely see men in the water, no. in the water well. So even for this, so this is an actually an Ethiopian, this is our traditional uh, clay pot called Insera. So this is what we carry water uh, with. But because of globalization, everything has gone to plastic. So this, this is what you'll see more of. But again, it's this incorporation of like the traditional elements uh, within uh, the contemporary. And then this headdress is from a specific ethnic group. Uh, so I will mix within the Ethiopian context, different ethnic groups, different timeline. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of my outfits, I look at archive images of Ethiopia from the 30s and 40s, which is, you know, Ethiopians were very regal. Mm -hmm. The Afro is so perfect. I mean, everything is just uh, amazing. So, um, but for me, this was... Uh, no, no, no. So for me, uh, this is really a representation of, you know, it, it takes a specific strength um, to really endure, mm -hmm. you know, just the labor. I think, you know, when they say a woman's work is never done, they weren't joking. <laughs> never done. Yeah. So, uh, so the role of the woman and the strength that she has to carry, you know, to carry the family, to be responsible for the family, yeah. you know, to basically uh, build the future generation, it's, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. you know. But also in, in most of the images in the collection, what I see is that sort of di dichotomy in each image where there is a 
especially when there is more than one figure, where one figure is sort of like anchored and locked in this space of tradition, inverted commas, carrying this burden, and then there's the other figure, which almost sort of like is more in a space of a kind of utopian dream space of progress and what could be if there weren't all of those, right. sort of like things shackling, almost literally yeah. keeping you in shackles. And yeah. then the jerry can, of course, yeah. is, is representing that weight yeah. as well to that conversation with each, within each of the images. Yeah. And um, I was looking at this earlier and the umbrella it reminds me of a kind of Mary Poppins moment <laughs> as well. So there's, a, there's that sort of like desire for, for her to be able to just lift off and kind of like transgress into another moment away from this particular right. reality. Um, and then the last, and we're going to open up to some questions um, from the floor before we finish, but there's one thing I just wanted to ask you before that. You move in the series between um, the studio mm -hmm. and the location. Mm -hmm. And in the studios, so for example, the, um, you, you, you spoke already about the, the dots that are sort of in the, the line in, in, in your um, figure's face, but then that same line also uh, manifests on, on the bottles. When we're in the studio, it feels like we're more talking about an urban yeah. conversation and the various issues yeah. around access, privilege, etc. Yeah. Why did you make that choice to move between the, the two spaces visually? I mean, I, I always work between two spaces. Um, my main issue with like working on location, it's always the question of the palette of the location, mm -hmm. because since my work is very primary color, so if you see the previous image with the mountain, we took out the color out of it. Keep going back, like this. Oh, sorry. Like we took the color out of this. <coughs> this is actually uh, like a beige color, and I, I felt like it didn't work. Yeah. So there are things that work on location. There are things that don't work, mm -hmm. and then when I go into the studio, which is the, the other image that you have, that this actually was on location. We did this at night in the desert because oh, we were trying to <laughs> save time. So, so basically, like this full okay. collection we completed in five days, which was insanity. But, uh, but, you know, I work in a very structured and planned way. And, you know, I, some people might say I'm a, I'm a machine, but I, I really, <laughs> like, work very effectively. So for this, I, I, we had the idea, and I was like, all right, you know, so it was you know, in the night of the desert, you know, in the heat even, trying yes. to make this. But, uh, but the other image that you talk about, for me, it wasn't just about the ruler region of access to water, it was also in the urban setting because I live in the city mm -hmm. and the question of water is also an issue within the city. So if you, if you guys have seen the one with the black and white pipes that go in different directions, this one. So for me, in Addis Ababa, the irony is that um, you know, just to be clear, it's not that we don't have water. It's just we don't have the infrastructure to get the water out of the ground. So I think we're the second country in Africa that has the most water underground, you know, which is the irony of the whole situation. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so in the city, there's places, for example, that don't have running water for the past three years, you know. And this is, again, this conversation of, I think, as governments, we have to prioritize, you know, what are we going to work on and, and so forth. So in the case of this, you know, we have the... We have the system, but there's no connection, you know. So, and that's why, like, I put, you know, so all of these we, you actually built the set uh, for this. So these are the things that I'm also interested in, because in Ethiopia, you know, we have blackouts and the water goes off, and then other things go off. But I always say, like, I'd rather have electricity go off than water go off, because you really feel it when the water goes off. And you know, when you live in the Western world, you don't know that what that feels like when you haven't had water for three days, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And just the challenge of even the context of the city to go and get water from wherever it is, you know? Yeah. I have so many other questions I would love to mm -hmm. ask you and things to talk about, but unfortunately, we're going to run out of time. So I think we should just okay. open up for, for maybe two or three questions from, from the floor. I, just whilst, um, maybe if you, if you have a question, please just put your hand up and the mic is coming to you. I just wanted to say whilst we do this that um, if you had responded to this um, brief with, say, photojournalistic mm -hmm. images, people would have probably been so tired and saturated from seeing that work and seeing women simply carrying water that the conversation probably wouldn't have gone anywhere else yeah. from there. No, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of work for the UN and covering this topic as well. So I, I've, I mean, I know the number of images that you can get to cut, to address this mm. issue. What the shots are, what the shots are. But uh, you know, we live in a world where there's a lot of images that we're bombarded with, and 
my main thing is like, how do I effectively communicate a specific cause? And this is why I think, you know, we're, we're entering into spaces that I think normally water aid would not enter in and, and engaging a specific audience because I have a specific following, mm -hmm. you know, and, and to me, at the end, I think we have to look at, you know, how do we communicate and what is it that we want to say? So this is quite important. And, uh, and a lot of the times, I think as artists, uh, often we shy away from like ad advocacy work, mm. you know. And I think it's quite important uh, within the span of our careers to make some kind of contribution. So this is an issue that uh, was quite, you know, close to me. Um, and, and even just out of my own concern of what is the future going to look like. And I've said, you know, the future war is not going to be about oil, it's going to be about water. You know, and water security is going to be a major issue. And I see it in the context of my own country where, uh, you know, we have a growth rate of 2 million per year. We're already at 120. So imagine there's going to be less land, less food, mm -hmm. less water. You know, this, and this is, I think, going to be a global phenomenon. It's not just unique to Ethiopia. So I engaged in this project because these are the things that I'm concerned about. Mm -hmm. so. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, any questions or comments from the floor? No? Yes, two questions. So here and then in the front, please. Thanks. Thank it's really great. I love what you've done wor working with WaterAid. It makes, you know, the issue, as you've just said, broader. You must have loads of issues. Are there any other specific issues on your mind and organizations you'd like to work with to kind of get that mm -hmm. out? Like I said, I have a lot of issues, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm just focusing uh, around women. This has just been what I'm obsessed with uh, because I think, you know, you don't, you don't hear those voices uh, a lot of the times. And the reason that, you know, with water aid, it, it's just, it addresses so much more. It's not just about us drinking water. It just... It impacts industry, you know, farming, uh, you know, health. There's so many different categories that it, it impacts within that. So, and the way that I like to work is just, you know, I, I believe in like long-term sort of engagement so that I can focus and go deeper into it. So even what you guys are seeing, this is really the first phase with WaterAid. We have like several other components. We still haven't, you know, uh, we haven't showcased or what have you, but I work in a very systematic way that at the end, uh, you know, it's not just, you know, doing, presenting the work here. So even like the sales of the prints goes into a specific projects in Ethiopia that I want to go back and follow up on. And I think a lot of the times, especially the international community, there's a disconnect of like, where does, where does their money go and to watch it, what it goes to and, and so forth. So this is like a different way that, you know, I wanted to work. And, you know, I work with other NGOs, but this was the most interesting um, for me. So anyways, the, the issues, again, it's just, you know, women and representation, this is always, um, this is something I, I have yet to scratch the surface on. Thank you. There's a question in the front. <clears throat> Thank you very much for a very interesting uh, talk. And um, I just wanted to ask, um, now that you work with advocacy, we spoke a little bit about it before. Um, um, yeah, when you work with companies or sponsors, uh, how do you choose, um, do, you, do you get advice, for example, so because I'm thinking I work a little bit in communications as well, and we ha there's this concept of greenwash, where companies might, might like do a lot of pollution, and then they might try to cover up for that by hiring an artist or something like that, or do a campaign. Do you have uh, someone who you discuss with, or how do you put your, how do you choose who to work with? I mean, for me, the the, the first thing is, you know, how interested I am in the project, uh, and also who it is makes a big difference for me. Uh, there are certain things that I will, there are certain institutions I will not work with, you know, because I'm just I feel like our politics don't match uh, and so forth. Um, but for me, it's it's also about the relationship. So this all began because of the relationship that I have with Neil and how he approached it, and you know the freedom that he gave me to do what I wanted to do, and that's what I look for. Like I'm I'm not here, um, you know I'm I'm not really a fan of being forced to do something that you don't really want to do for the sake of money. So my preference is to really 
work on things that are interesting and and there's been times like I've done work for free because I've I've I felt that close to that project that I I needed to to do it because I felt like nobody else could do it so let me engage in it um, but I'm very particular of who are my partners you know who I receive money from and who I work with and that is not um, you know I first have to see what is the project what what are they trying to accomplish who are they and then how does that relate to what, what my principles are? And that's quite important uh, at the end. Yes, please. Um, thank you so much, Ida. What a great collaboration. And, and I think at a really important moment where our visual lives are so uh, present and, and constant. My question for you is if you had to give some advice to other photographers who are often co-opted by aid organizations and NGOs to articulate a particular message, what would you say that you've learned through this collaboration that could sort of support their ability to insist on a creative license? Yeah, I mean, um I think the key thing that you know that I've noticed because I, I teach a lot of young photographers is that you know young photographers tend to be very impatient. You know they they want to, and there's one thing I always say. I tell them you know if you want to be rich and famous, don't pursue photography. Do something else because it's not an easy. Like if that's what you're thinking that you're going to become rich, you know you have to do it because you feel passionate about it. That you, there's something inside of you that tells you to move forward with it. But a lot of the times is that there should never be a compromise. You know, if somebody believes in your work uh, or if they believe in what you're doing, you shouldn't have to compromise to continue your own self-expression. And, um, and that goes back to, you know, what is your motivation at the end of the day, you know? Uh, and again, you know, I, I say that, um, you know, I, I tell photographers when I teach them, you know, you have to do work for your stomach and work for your heart. You know, the work that you do for your stomach pays your rent, pays your bills, you know, but you always have to keep in mind that it's really the work that you do for your heart, that's what is the true expression. And over time, eventually, the work that you do for your heart becomes also the work for your stomach, you know what I mean? But it takes time. It's not something that happens in five years, 10 years, you know? I was in obscurity until like five years ago, you know? But I've had to go through these experiences and go through these types of different works, you know? I've shot weddings, I've done, I mean, I've done every kind of photography that you can imagine, but that has really built me up to finally find my sense of sort of understanding what, what is my final visual aesthetics, you know? So in that way, um, you know, you have to be comfortable in what you're doing. And if there's a hesitation within you, then that will show in your work, you know? So I'm able to give my best to WaterAid because I was given the freedom to give my best. But if you have a hesitation as artists, you know, if we have a hesitation within us, then that shows up in, in whatever that we're producing. And that becomes a, uh, sort of a, a dishonesty to ourselves and a dishonesty to the audience. And the audience will read into that as well. You know? So it's quite important uh, to take care of that, you know, not to be, I think, uh, what is it? Schmoozed or not to be diverted into something that you don't yeah. want to do. Because I, I believe in this world there's many opportunities. So it's always finding the right match. Uh, it takes time, but finding the right mm -hmm. match is quite important. I think on that note, that's a brilliant piece of advice. And I want to also just thank you for your vision and your commitment and everything you. that you've done for the last two decades longer within the kind of space that you've worked in. I've got nothing but a huge amount of respect and admiration for you. Thank so, you so thank much. you. And thank you to, to Neil for the collaboration and, and giving Ada that space and that freedom to produce that really is worth a lot, a lot, a lot. So thank you. And Thank you, all of you, for coming and engaging. Thank you.